The Fail On Podcast, episode 037. And so I recently got a vape. And so I have no idea what the dosage is that I should be using. And I just got blasted last night, not realizing that I would not. It was also like it's like a strain that affects your body. And I sat and I just I was like glued to the couch watching Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two. And I just found my mind wandering. And for four hours after the movie ended, I was just like, man, if Voldemort was born like 60 years later, probably wouldn't have started this cult. Probably just would have like played a lot of Xbox Maybe after high school, he would have like, you know, gotten in good shape, crush it on Tinder. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes leveraging failure is not only the fastest way to learn, but is also the fastest way to grow your business and live a life of absolute freedom. In a world that only shares successes, we dissect the struggle by talking to honest and vulnerable entrepreneurs, and this is a platform for their stories, and today's story is of John Romaniello. John is a New York Times bestselling author and one of the most highly regarded experts in the fitness industry today. He has written for a myriad of publications ranging from Men's Health to Fast Company and is also the author of hundreds of articles and dozens of digital products. He's also an angel investor and serves as an advisor to nearly a dozen fitness and tech companies. We're going to be discussing John's first highly successful product launch and the $250,000 selfie story that came as a byproduct years later. He's also going to share how he built strong relationships with his audiences through his writing and storytelling process. And finally, how John balances writing three books at one time and his plan for a full immersion writing retreat workshop and much, much more. But first, luckily, all I travel with now is a backpack for one reason only. It's clothing from an innovative Toronto apparel company called Unbound Merino. They have clothes made out of merino wool that you can wear for months on end without ever needing to have it washed. So this means I can travel with less since the clothes clean themselves. Check out the show notes page for an exclusive fail-on discount that you won't be able to get anywhere else. And if you'd like to stay up to date on all the fail-on podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. So let's talk about this two hundred and fifty thousand dollars selfie. <laughs> <laughs> that is, let's talk about the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars selfie. Okay, so this is this is a story about a story, and the story is that I like money entrepreneurs. I'm not as responsible with certain things as I should be, and creating content is one of those things, right? You know, you get in your head. And I I've been really trying to be more diligent with Instagram and building my Instagram, and you know, I see what some of my friends are doing. And I'm not, I don't take a lot of selfies. I'm not good at it. And not because I don't like, I've never met a mirror I didn't like, but <laughs> I, I, for whatever, every time I take a selfie, I look at it, I'm like, man, my nose can't be that fucking big. <laughs> and so I'm not, I'm not, I don't have this skill set. And so I, uh, there's a folder in your iPhone titled selfies. And I and it organizes them by date. And I just went into that because because selfies are re- like if you want to build your Instagram, you got to post a lot of selfies. People want to see them. And I and it was the I clicked on it and it brought me to the first selfie I ever took, which was on February twentieth, like super early in the morning, three thirty in the morning, on in two thousand ten. And so I lived my entire life until two thousand ten, never needing to take a selfie. And then at some point, uh, you know, like I'm being on the cusp of of millennialism took over and. I'm a storyteller by nature. And so I thought, I'm going to post this selfie and tell this story. And so the story of this selfie is that it was taken very late at night during the first product launch I ever did. So I'd been in the internet marketing fitness world for a little while. I had been doing some online coaching and then it was time to launch my product. And so the selfie is, is the frame where I essentially tell the story of this product launch where I'd been working on it for months and everything's coming to fruition and, you know, so I launched what was then called Final Phase Fat Loss. It was a, you know, series of ebooks to help people lose the last 10 to 15 pounds. And just right there, you know, it's got, it's a really 
tight niche and and it it the, the product had everything it needed the copy was really great the hook was good the story was good i'd spent a lot of time on it i was very proud of it did you write it i did everything i wrote you know it was the first piece of of copy i ever wrote and that was how i learned that i was a good copywriter because i saw what everyone else did people sent me my affiliates who who were going to promote the product sent me a lot of information and they're just you know I, there was a list of like these 11 things that you mm. to have in this order and I did it and I went in and I killed it and then and I and I had there was a lot of very satisfying moments leading up to the launch where everyone was sort of nervous because I'd never done this before and I sent the copy to Craig Ballantyne who's one of my mentors and then he he sent it to another one of our affiliates a guy named Mike Geary who a very successful guy had like a a 900,000 person list in 2010 and the subject line was holy shit and I was CC'd and then the the body was just read this and a link to the sales page. And I was like, oh, I guess I did well. So we've got all these affiliates promoting. It's going crazy. You know, like I had been running a, a successful personal training business and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want to tell the, like, the origin story sure. of my business. But the launch went very well. And, you know, it's this moment where your life is changing and you're, you know, you're checking your ClickBank account and it's like, $120,000 and you check it again and it's 125. Playing the refresh yeah, game. Yeah, the refresh <laughs> game. And, you know, and, and, but so overall the launch did like $465,000 in revenue, which was the biggest for a fitness ebook launch at that time. And that was my goal. Like I am, you know, I, I really wanted to just come in and swing my dick around and be like, I'm fucking here to party guys. And my buddy, Joel Marion, who partnered with me on the launch had done the most prior to that with like 330,000. So we came in and we broke that. And at some point, like, you know, I, I realized how my life was changing and, you know, the fact that. And you've written, this is a written story yeah. that you've and so, written yeah, out. I, yeah, but I'm, but, okay. but here's the, I'll tell So I, I decided, so I'm in the cab. I, I, I flew to Mexico for my buddy's wedding. My buddy, Joey Persia, who's in my mastermind, he asked me to officiate his wedding. And so I'm driving to from Cancun airport in the back of a cab to Tulum, which is an hour and a half drive looking for Instagram content because I don't want to just like start posting Mexico selfies and be an asshole. So I find the <laughs> selfie and now in the cab on my phone, I'm writing out the story telling about talking about the selfie, which is essentially the story of the launch and how the online business bloomed around that. And yeah. And, and it wound up sort of leading me to talk about, you know, how coaching was very valuable and how, um, and then I just really want to tell the story because the main part of that story is this. People know like the legend of Roman and they know that, you know, like chubby kid, the thick guy. They know, you know, I came out swinging with Final Face Fat Loss. What a lot of people don't know is that I launched that product. And this is the important part from my mother's dining room table. I had been in a serious relationship at, like while I got started in the online business. And when it ended, we had lived together. I needed to move out. And I was sort of you know, in that like really crazy grind mode wherein I would get up at five in the morning, train clients at six, you know, and then I'd be out until 9 p.m. Uh, and then I would get home and write content and work on the product. And part of it was that like I, I wanted to save a little bit of money, but there was really this this thing where I was like, I, I don't need to, ha I'll just move in with my mother. I'll move back in at home and lick my wounds. And... <laughs> You know, just, how old were you at this time? I was like 27. So that's so a tough ego thing, it, right? It's a tough yeah. ego hit, but you know, and so now telling everyone that, and that's always a part I've intentionally left out of the story, right? <laughs> that's part of the marketing for like for, for final phase yeah. was like, you know, one of New York City's top trainers charges 250 an hour. True. But I was also like, I had moved back to Long Island and was taking the Long Island Railroad at fucking 530 <laughs> in the morning to train 630 clients. Yeah. So I'm like living with my mom, but I launched that program. From my mom's dining room table, and we did four hundred and sixty-five thousand in gross rev, and now I made one hundred and fifty k, and so much of it was thanks to the coaching. and And, and I got a, a text message from uh, one of my one of my coaches, and he's like, "How do you feel right now?" And it was at like three forty-five in the morning. He was just waking up to start his day because he's super productive. Is and this Craig? This is Craig okay. time and uh, who has like now he, he's written books called the Perfect Day Formula. Yeah. And Craig Craig is just the most productive human I know. I think. Side note: I think the first digital product I ever bought was a product that he created. Turbulence training. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's a great, great program. Yeah, still to yeah, this yeah. day. And so he texts me. He's like, how are you feeling? And I really didn't know how to put into words the feeling of all of this shit happening. So I'm like laying down with my chin on my kitchen table and I'm just, I took a selfie and said to Tim and I said, like this. And I was hoping that would convey it. And then I went back to what we're doing and continue the launch. 
the best part about this story, the funny part is that at the time, Craig had like a 2007 Blackberry and couldn't even receive picture messages. <laughs> so when he said, when I said like this, he just didn't follow up and I assumed he got the picture, but he didn't. Yeah. So any event now, you know, this is, this is seven years later and I'm in the back of this cab writing this story and I'm like, this is, this is good. I think this is good content. Maybe people will like this. I had no real conception of how powerful it, were gonna, it was going to be. And I mentioned that I run this business mastermind, right? So I, just as an aside for context, I, I run a business mastermind, mostly online fitness professionals who want to build their business or we focus a lot on writing and obviously storytelling, et cetera. But we teach people how to make money on the internet. It's nothing crazy in that regard. I have graduated a few people from the mastermind in the last few months. And while it's not like a, a the primary revenue stream for my business, it like, if, if I'm going to do it, it needs to make enough money for it to be worth my time. And we, so we have like a, a threshold of people that we want in there. And I thought maybe I'll get six more people into the mastermind at some point. And pr- like two weeks prior to this, I was talking to my team and I was like, all right, guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to rent out a conference room in like New York. We're going to pr- start promoting it three months in advance. We're going to charge people just $97 to get in. We're going to give them a ton of content. I'll bring in one or two speakers, content all day long. And then at the end, we'll pitch the mastermind and, you know, or, or, you know, some form of that. And, uh, you know, it sounded really good. And I was about to start planning that when I got back from Mexico. And instead, I, took, I posted the selfie and wound up telling this story and mentioned but did not pitch the mastermind. And we got like 42 applicants for this $2,000 a month program. And we've taken... You know, we, we, I wanted six people. We ended up onboarding a few more. We gave some discounts based on location and, and a few other factors. But all told, you know, even accounting for attrition, there's always some drop-off. Just those new people alone will account for an increase in monthly revenue of around like twenty one to $22,000. So estimate that over the year. Like we're looking at a, a, a $250,000 revenue increase from a selfie. Mm. That's all. That was the only marketing I did. I, I posted one selfie and then I followed up again with like a, an, like a picture from like when I was 20 years old, which is just kind of fun. Another fun story yep. of me working at summer camp the first summer I was shredded. But ultimately what it, what it comes down to is like that's a $250,000 selfie that I – it was hidden somewhere on my phone. And I wrote the copy – the copy, quote unquote copy. Yeah. It was a story in the back of a cab on the way to a wedding, which, which was beautiful. And – and that it was so much less work ultimately than like running a mini event, blah blah. And and I can't even. So so you know what we focus on in my business and what we teach in the mastermind is storytelling. And people forget how important that is. And even me, like while I knew as I was writing it, I couldn't recognize the, the greatness of the story, and I can taste exactly when they're going to respond to it. I, I could not predict that the the non pitch, the the just yeah, hey, we got this other thing. If you're interested in learning how to do it, was going to fundamentally like blow it up that mm. much. And it's crazy how little marketing I did. I, and, and the interesting thing is the mastermind has always succeeded because of word of mouth. I, I mentioned it when I first started it two years ago and I funneled a bunch of people in. And then after that, I've never really done anything. Was your intention writing that article or writing that story to get sales, even though you were no, pitching. When I, I honestly, I, I didn't realize until I got to the bottom, oh, I should probably mention the mastermind. Yeah. I just wanted to tell a good story because my COO, Jeff, is constantly, I mean, he's like, if you want to build Instagram, you got to post every day. And I was thinking, and he, and he had sent me a text while I was on the plane. He's like, it's time for a selfie today. Find some good lighting. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like yelling at me because he, Jeff is like, is COO of the business, but also my life. And, he, and he's like, you need some fucking content on your Instagram. Find something to post. And I like was like, ah, oh, fuck. This kid, my nose is so big. And it, I had this one selfie where I looked good. And I'm like, I'll post this and tell this story. So, so not only was my intention not to pitch, it, yeah. I just wanted to tell a good story. And at the time I was writing it, I was just trying to get some Instagram content. So Jeff wouldn't yell at me. <laughs> and it became this entire other thing. And, and, you know, even though I knew that the story, because it's, it's, a, it's a good story. It's, yeah. you know, it's not quite rags to riches, but... Nobody knows that like Mama Roman was serving my buddy and I like chicken cutlets as we're, you know, writing these emails yeah. that are going to go out and bring in hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, th- and hats off to my mom for keeping us fed and letting, <laughs> letting us just like crash on the couch and the whole bit. 
And just for context, we're, we're in your actual apartment. We're not in your mom's house right now. Right now, no. We are no longer – no. So right now, we're in, we're in my apartment in the West Village currently. So you graduate to your own place. Yes. Yeah. So, at the, yeah, so the, the, you know, I moved uh, – so I lived with my mom for like another month after that. And then the next thing I did was I got this insane high-rise apartment, um, you know, in, in Hell's Kitchen with, with a roommate of mine. I was still yeah. like, you know, frugal and not being crazy. But, you know, it, it was at the time where like the, there was this big – big wave of gentrification so a bunch of high rises went up to keep you know there's a lot of demand so it yeah. kept the or a lot of supply kept the demand low and you know we got this ridiculous two bedroom that no one had ever lived in before we got four months free on the lease so we signed a 16 month lease and so they amortized yeah, that yeah. over the course of the course of it and i think it was like $3,400 a month, which by New York City That's standards amazing is for, cr- two bedroom, for two bedrooms. For two bedrooms, crazy. Yeah. yeah, and so I was paying like two grand a month and she was paying 14. And it was, it, dude, it was not like the roof deck was crazy. It was insane. It was yeah. the most insane thing. You know, it was like a pool and, and all this shit. And two months prior, I was like living in my mom's room, at my mom's place yeah. and like launching a product from her dining room table. Just in terms um, of, so it's an amazing story, but just in terms of when, that was like your first real success. Would you, would you say like in terms of financial, like financially? I mean, it, that depends on what you look at, right? So I, the personal training business was doing well. I mean, I was doing over 150K a year, uh, which is, you know, depending on, on how you look at it, either very successful or modestly successful. But, but, but grinding uh, pretty hard for that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely yeah. like I was, when I decided I wanted to make more money, the first thing I did was work more hours. Yeah, and exactly. I come from that like old school blue collar Italian mentality where I used to take clients from like, I would start at 7 a.m. and end at 7 p.m., and then I started being taking clients at 6 a.m. and ending at 9 p.m. And so, you know, it, the tra- I, I occasionally like raised my prices and things like that. But ultimately, I just, you know, did life harder. Sure. <laughs> that was and, and it made my life harder. And uh, so this is this is the first real success where I can now see I have some leverageable assets and, and there's an arbitrage point where I can build from this. And, you know, like with the personal training stuff. I had one or two guys working under my banner, but ultimately it came down to the fact that the less I worked, the less I made, and the less I worked, the less I worked, which means that like if people don't see you training, you stop getting leads and things like that. And so, you know, and it's sort of like that in the online world, right? If you stop creating content, you kind of disappear for two months, things slow down quite a bit. Totally. Even if like me or you, you've got a big backlog of stuff. So that was the first real success. It was, you know, and, and, and I wanted to document it in the picture that I took and taking, you know, a, a slightly less endearing, more vulgar, you know, picture of your, of your ClickBank account with $150,000 <laughs> in it is something that people do. Yeah. But, you know, that's really cool. And so I, this, this $250,000 selfie from seven years ago was something that I carried on my phone, not realizing it or not wanting to delete it because of whatever sentimentality was attached to it. And then on a whim in a cab in Mexico, because I needed content so Jeff wouldn't yell at me, <laughs> I, I, I posted it. But the most important thing there is that the storytelling is the thing that I've, I've trained to do every single day my entire life. You know, like I just, since I was eight years old, like, I've been telling stories. Like so being, not necessarily writing. Writing, but, yeah. No, I, I oh, told, when I was well. eight years old, I told my mom I wanted to write a book. And she asked why. And I said, because books make me happy and I want to make other people happy. And so that's always why I've always been a writer. And so, you know, to sit and write a beautiful story in a cab, that part is not unusual for yeah. me. The idea of what happened as a result of that is certainly like, that's not as common. I'm mm. not, I'm not writing $250,000 Instagram posts uh, you know, frequently, <laughs> uh, you know, so I'm, I'm very blown away with this. So this is, ultimately it's a $250,000 selfie. We funneled some amazing people into the mastermind. You know, I've already started doing some coaching calls with them. We've got our next meeting in a couple of months and they're all incredible, high-level people, and like really excited to work with them in all sorts of different businesses, and it's crazy. And then, and then I don't have to do that other like marketing bullshit where I like try to get people to a live it's event like, in the nineties. It's like pushing versus pulling, right? Exactly, exactly right. So the writing stuff's really interesting to me because I've been writing a bit more now, and I took a big break. Like it's, it's always made me happy as well. Like in college, I was like super emo and writing like yeah. blog posts yeah. about like my life. Yeah. And- <laughs> Poems yeah, and- a lot. Yeah, I wrote, dude, I, yeah. I was in a couple of bands. I wrote a lot, a lot of song lyrics, and most of them were very angsty, very, very, very angsty, angsty song lyrics. Like, you know, naming songs yeah. after my ex girlfriend. My buddy and I, uh, he had this. There was this one about he had this ex girlfriend named Diane, and so one of he wrote. We each wrote a song about our ex girlfriend, like sort of apart from one another. 
And I came back with a song called Cat with a K after my ex-girlfriend. And he came back with one called Don't Say the D Word. And I was like, we can't have both of these on the same EP. Like, it's it's very interesting, but... So yeah, writing for super. So yeah, very emo in college. I, yeah. I feel you. <laughs> no, but I've gotten back into it, and it's been like a big break since I started writing again, and it's connecting with me a lot. And I know, like, when did you start taking writing seriously? I guess, like, so I think that there's a lot of the positive feedback loop that really forced me for because I was always naturally good at it. Because I, when I was a kid, I just disappeared into books. I read a lot. I was a very bookish kid. I didn't. You know, I played a lot of video games, but I played a lot of RPGs. And so there was all, I was always being told stories. And, you know, I wasn't really, you know, like into shoot 'em ups. I played Final Fantasy and Dragon Warrior and Zelda. And when I got into first middle school or even, even elementary school, I would have assignments and I would write stories. And I remember there was this one occasion where Mrs. Hockler, who was like my fourth grade teacher, pulled me aside and she's like, I need you to show me, you know, you're not going to be in trouble if you tell me now where you copied this story from. And I was like, nope. Mm-mm. And and so that was the first instance. And then, mm. and then I started, you know, getting praised for my writing. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm good at it. And everyone tells me how I'm good at it. And that makes me feel good. So I keep doing it and I keep writing it. And then um, when I was like 14. This wasn't like, this wasn't like, you know, you're studying. This is like just naturally just, you're yeah, writing. Right. And, and, good and reading and getting good feedback. And then. When uh, I was 14 or so, I had a teacher who encouraged me to submit a short story. I was, I, I, just so you, everyone is aware of the type of nerd that I am, I have, a, I have a, a lot of tattoos. One of them is on my elbow is a 20-sided die from Dungeons & Dragons. Like, I play d and I'm very proud. I'm proud of my $500,000 launch. I am prouder of my level 8 paladin, Treble and Dagmore. And so I played a lot of D&D and I was the kid you would see with his like four other nerd friends playing Magic the Gathering at the lunch table (laughs) in high school because not that there's anything wrong with it, but like we didn't, we were so uncool. We didn't even have a conception that maybe we should do this shit in private at at home. (laughs) We just like needed to get in a 30, 30 second, 30 minute magic session at school. So it's a big nerd. And a teacher, you know, he's like, you love this shit. Why don't you submit to like Dragon Magazine or Dungeon Magazine or Scry? So Scry is the type of magazine you would read if you wanted to learn how to build like a sick fucking magic deck. <laughs> and so I submitted and so I got my first piece rejected. But then after that, you know, I got some good feedback. And then after that, I got three or four pieces published in a row in these magazines. And I didn't really tell anyone, which, which honestly was like my, my attempt at modesty, hoping that someone would find them and be like, dude, why didn't you tell me about this? <laughs> because nobody, one of my friends read it. But, you know, I started getting paid for articles. And then I, I was always writing for school. And then by the time I was in college and I had found fitness, the only way I've ever been able to make anything real or truly process it is by writing about it, by journaling. And so when I, when I went through this big body transformation, the only way to make it real for me was, was to write about it. And so I got my first article published in, on uh, what was then T-Mag and, and is now T-Nation in like 2002. But as that was happening, you know, I was at a school where they, I was in a creative writing program and I was, I was like learning the craft of writing and and starting to take it very seriously. And, you know, I, I was exposed to a couple of different types of writers. Like I am not known for exercising economy of words. (laughs) And uh, at the same time, I fell in love with Hemingway and Mm -hmm. I was like, this person is amazing at that, but that's not my thing. And, you know, um, just just really reading and loving and, and, and falling in love with the craft and, you know, hammering things out. And I just, I just kept working at it and treating that like my job, no matter what else I was doing. I was always writing. Like just writing internally just for your own? Or from, were you actually trying to post everything that I you was, got out the, of your head? At the time, I, was, there wasn't, I wasn't blogging, but okay. I was very active on various forums, writing very well-written thoughts. Got and, it you know, polemics and diatribes and, but also writing articles primarily in the fitness space and then, you know, sort of writing some lifestyle. And then it just kept evolving in all these different ways. And then it was business and then writing about writing is kind of the thing that I do now. And it just kept, and then writing books and writing eBooks and and all of this stuff. And the thing that always helped me stand out, regardless of how good my content was relative to everyone else, which is like, you know, like very good compared to others, not as good as some. And uh, it was just, I would, the writing is where I was able to stand out. Mm. And yeah, it's just always been very satisfying to me and to, to teach and to, to be able to do that. I know we were talking earlier 
because we were trying to meet in Venice, but you mentioned that you had, I don't know if you're still doing this, but you mentioned you're doing a writing kind of boot yeah, camp, right? Yeah, so, so this is the, the, I put this on Facebook. So I, I'm, I'm always like in awe of how stupid I am. <laughs> and I think that in general, if there's one rule you should try to apply to your life, it's take pleasure in nothing more than violent exposure to your own ignorance. And anytime you can be this wrong about something, it's, it's amazing. So I was, on a, I was on a call with one of my mastermind members, a guy named Jason Phillips. He's one of the top CrossFit nutrition coaches in the world. His business is killing it. He's amazing. He's an amazing guy. And, you know, we talked about how he had been traveling around doing all these seminars. And I was like, nah, man, you got to do like, you got to make people come to you. We'll, we'll set up so you do four events per year yep. and people will come to you and you'll certify them. And then we just kind of the call lulled. And then toward the end, he's like, well, what you, man, what about you? You can do some more live events. You're so good at them. I like it. And uh, I was like, yeah, I got this fantasy where I do this like writing thing. And it's like, you know, where it's like a writing workshop. And I just like, we teach people how to write. And he's like, oh, like people like come to like a hotel and a classroom. I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe. But like, what if like, it was like you rented a house and it was like three or four days and like there's class in the morning and you know, in the middle, like there's no internet and everyone has to come with a big project they're working on and just work on that for five hours. And then there's like breakdowns at night. And, and so I described my, like this dream idea that I guess has been percolating for a while. And he's like, bro, you're so, you should fucking do it. Why, why, what's holding you up? And I'm like, man, I don't think anyone would come. I don't think any, I think I'm like the only dork who wants to do that <laughs> shit. It's just like going to be me playing Magic the Gathering by myself if I announce it. And I'd also like, I'd have to charge a fair amount. And he's like, He's like, I, he's like, I, I don't know, man. I think, I think people would be interested in that. I was like, I don't know. He's like, all right, talk, I'm going to do for you what you would do for me. I'm going to bet you right now. I was like, I, I will bet you. Uh, what do you want about like 500 bucks? I'm like, and so we want the stakes we wound up settling with just randomly. It was $200 paid in $5 bills <laughs> and three cans of Diet Sunkist, nice. um, which is my, <laughs> and so, and so that's what I had to pay him because I, I then like went and posted it on Facebook and I framed it as like, I have this dream. I don't think it'll work. And I described exactly what it was. And I was like, too bad. No one will do it. And everyone's like, oh, your copy is so good. Of course I want that. That's amazing. <laughs> and I was like, shit, dude, the, the response was fucking crazy. Yeah. And like 10 people were like, what's your PayPal? I'll, I'll pay you right now. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. All right. And so I was like, I'm all right. So we're going to do it. I'm going to do it. I didn't do, I didn't just like start doing it then. Cause I was working, you know, at the, at the, at the time I was, I was like knee deep and trying to figure out the next step for my book writing process. Yep. So yeah, now I like, it's, it's happening. I I really wanted to do it in October, but now that's, that's a little bit proximal. So I, I think like if I can't do it in late fall, just based on I mean, I mean, I, I know that I could do it. I could, I could theoretically put it together, sign up like 10 people totally. and put it, I could do it. The way I really want to do it is I want like no more than 12 students and then myself and maybe two other, other teachers. Yeah, yeah. Although we're, we're and, and here's the, the thing that I, I'm thinking, not only do people learn the value they get is also exposure to, to other writers, but how much is it worth to you to have five hours a day where you're for three days where you are forced to, to do nothing else but work on the big project that you're like, have all this resistance totally, around. Totally. Like I'll, I'll happily pay three grand for <laughs> someone to focus, just to right. fucking force me to, and I have accountability to make, you know, yeah. and I'm like, this will be great. And I, I don't like, I'm like, I don't, I don't really need to make any money on this. Like this can be, I can be, you know, break even plus my time. And I was like, all right, well for, you know, I looked at a bunch of houses, like where, where could I host this? Like, where can you do that where you can get 15, 16 people? So the first thing I thought of, cause I'm a, I'm a Long Island boy. Hampton, my core, do it in the Hamptons. Yeah. In the off season, because all those houses are built to share, totally. you know, like in the off season, it's actually not that expensive. And I was like, and then I talked to my buddy, who's uh, my buddy, Rich Schoenacher, who's um, a chef and, and he's got a restaurant here in New York that he's working with. And I was like, what would you say, you, what, what would you charge if I wanted you to come out and cook for an event like this for, for three days? And he's like, well... This is a weird position because if anyone offered me this, the first thing I would do is call you and ask you what I should charge. <laughs> I was like, okay. And I was like, well, I would tell you to charge like the cost of food plus $1,500 a yeah. day for your time. And he's like, that sounds fair. <laughs> sure. Uh, I was just like, yeah, it sounds good. And uh, I was like, all right. So, um, so yeah, we're going to, I want to do it. I can't, if you're, if you're listening to this now and you are super excited about it, I cannot tell you when exactly it'll happen i can tell you that it'll be if we do it in the hamptons it would be in the off season i was also thinking fall in the hudson valley is gorgeous mm. so anywhere that's like i think two to three hours away from a big city 
So you're, you're distracted enough, but at the end of this three-day period, not only do you have the writing and the work, you go celebrate a small victory and, you, mm. you know, you guys go to a, you know, like go out into a bar and party. It will happen based on my projections for the cost. The price would be around $3,000 and I know that I'm going to do it. I'm putting it out there. This is the first time I've talked about it on podcast, Rob. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll do it. And yeah. And I just, I just want to like work with people and get deep in their writing and like, is it the right, is it writing based around business? Like, like I mean, storytelling I, in no, business I, or just I, any I writing? Would, any, anything that they're working on. Like I would prefer that people. So the reason I didn't think people would do it is I didn't think people would see the ROI. Right. I think that if you tell like it's a copywriting workshop yeah, and you're going right. to, be able to make $10,000 writing sales pages going forward. Of course people do. But if I'm just like, you're just going to be a better writer overall and that's going to improve everything that you work on. I can't quantify the value of that, but I guess if you can fucking $250,000 selfie, then, <laughs> then, then it's high. It's, it's very high. Right. Um, and so now that I got that one in my pocket, I guess now, and that, this is the first time I'm putting together. I'm like, ah, I use that. To market to this. This is such a valuable conversation for me <laughs> where I'm having all these realizations. Connecting selfies to writing. Uh, oh, this is so good. But yeah, I would want like uh, someone to come in with like, I have this idea for a book yeah. that I'm working on. Or, you know, I have two guys I know that are like, they really have this great idea for a screenplay. I have ideas. I've written three screenplays. They're all shit. <laughs> I have this. Hemingway said the first draft of anything yeah. is shit. Yeah. And I think that applies like 10x to screenplays. So they're all fun ideas, good ideas. The dialogue is really good, but the structure is like they're the they're the cleverest six hour movies you've seen. They're quippy. They're bit, six, hour six hours of fucking banter, <laughs> but but good stories. So you know, like, I would rather someone come in with something like that. They're like, I've been thinking about this for a year, yeah. and I've got like an outline, and then I just want to dig in with them and be like, let's fucking do this, mm. and like I hopefully. I can offer insight and actually help make them better writer during that process. But at the absolute worst, if they come out, you know, with like 4,000 words a day on this thing and they're like 12,000 words richer, I feel like they've gotten their value plus meeting all these people and being in this house and then there's the chef. Yep. And, and so I want to do it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Done. It'll happen. I, I'll let you guys know when. Love uh, it. I, and here, but here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to say this right now. I'm not writing a sales page for it. I refuse. <laughs> I'm going to take a screenshot of the original Facebook post and just film a video and be like, this is what I'm doing. It sounds a lot of fun. I, I'm so sick of writing sales pages. Yeah. I just don't want to do that. That's not. And it doesn't sound like you have to do it anymore. No, apparently I just take selfies. I'm going to take, take a selfie of that. Uh, I'll take a picture of that typewriter up there. <laughs> I mean, I've got this old uh, like 1954 Remington Rand. Did you actually uh, use it? Uh, yeah, so I have, as most writers do, absolutely atrocious handwriting. Yeah. True, and, I, and I'm a lefty in, in addition. So I use this typewriter to write out thank you notes. And like, you know, just like instead of a handwritten card, if I'm just like, hey, I'm thinking of you, I type it up on the typewriter and then I sign my name. And so it's like, it's still sort of handcrafted and yeah, different personal, than sending right? an email. Yeah. It's personalized, but it allows me to hide behind the fact that like there's just like nice font on the typewriter right. and, and not my handwriting, which is atrocious. So <laughs> a little, little tip for you people out there, get yourself like a vintage typewriter and send handwritten notes on, on like nice paper. You know, you'll, you'll want to have to uh, have to deal. Gotta get a picture of it. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you're doing a lot of coaching, right? You're doing the business coaching, the doing writing the business coaching. coaching. Yeah. So, I, I haven't really started much writing. The, the business coaching is partially writing coaching. That all sure. takes place within the mastermind. But completely separate of that, you know, I want to work with high-level entrepreneurs who are like not qual- not as good as me in terms of writing, but you know, maybe exceed me in terms of where their 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 revenue is, and they're not like coming to me for me to teach them how to create funnels. They're just like, I really want to become a better writer. I don't work with people like that and sure. people who are, you know, they're not entrepreneurs. They're, they're just like teachers and they're working on their novel and they want to come in and get better at doing that. And, you know, my goal is to have one person there who's also in the publishing industry who can sort of like tell them very authentically, like, this is where this would need to go for it to be saleable. This is where it would need to go for if you wanted to work on your book proposal. So I really want people to get a lot of value. And, and you know, I've been very blessed in my network to meet people like that. And, you know, obviously, um, a couple of years back, I had a book that was very commercially successful and emotionally successful and, and for which my co-author, Adam, whom I know you know, he and I were, were paid like a very large advance. There's a really good article like, on Tim Ferriss. on Tim Ferriss. Yeah, that's yeah. an amazing article, by Thank the way. Thank you. Oh, man. Yeah, we, I literally before. copied that whole article, put it into a note my Mac and I'm like, okay, when, when I'm doing my book, I'm keeping this oh, and thank you. following this step yeah, by step. We got a, I got a lot of good feedback on that. So I wrote that article 
Uh, it was about 7,000 words at the time. I think they've added to it now. And it's called How a First-Time Author Got a Seven-Figure Book Deal. HarperCollins paid Adam and I $1.2 million for two books. We canceled the second. We, we just like wanted to move on from fitness. But yeah, Tim loved the article. And, and that was, I put a ton of work into it. I remember I, I wrote the article. It was like maybe 6,000 words. And so the book, the book was published on April 16th. And it was, uh, so my birthday is April 8th. And it was my 30th birthday and, or 31st birthday. And Tim texts me at like, 6 p.m. and he's like I yeah, I have some questions you need to like flesh out these parts and I had tickets to go see Alan Cumming in a one-man show of Macbeth and I'd had them and I'm like I just, ugh, <laughs> only for Tim Ferriss and only because I know it's going to be the most valuable piece of media for the book do I skip out on Alan Cumming being every character in Macbeth <laughs> oh, that's amazing. and so I didn't get to see it but I was I was like very excited to do so but yeah anything for Tim you know to this day Timmy if you need me I'm here how have you how have you done such a good job building your audience? Was it was it just a steady writing, slow build type thing or Yeah. I mean, I think that ultimately what it comes down to is I focus on not the ninety-nine percent of shit that makes me the same as other fitness professionals or, or you know, fitness professionals when I was self-identifying as that between two thousand nine and I guess two thousand fifteen. But the one percent that makes me different. You know, at the end of the day, everyone in that industry is offering the same services. You help people look better, feel better, perform better. Some variation of that. The mechanisms that you use might be different, but at the end of a 16-week program, the individual in question does not care how they got lean. They just care that they got lean. Totally. And along that journey, they can choose you know, one of three people. And one of them is Craig Ballantyne, and he talks about productivity and getting up super early. And then you know, one is, I don't know, like Mike Vacanti, my protege, who mm-hmm. is talking about like ice cream and counting macros. And then in the middle of that, there's like me – and I'm just like, let me tell you about butt sex and Game of Thrones. <clears throat> and, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. that's the shit I talk about at my right. off time. And I'm like, let us let me tell you about this time I like was scream crying to Dashboard Confessional. And like that somehow inspired me to write a, a program. It's an interesting thing, though, because it sounds like you were able to become like your most authentic self, even though, you know, I don't, authenticity. There's a, a lot of people are talking about it now, but like to truly be yourself tough in this day and age yeah. and, and you do and it that's, well that, thank you and, and it was a slow process like when i first yeah. came out swinging i was like happy to talk about emo music and eventually anal and then but you know it wasn't until like 2015 that i was comfortable talking about like my depression and things like that so it's it's a slow sort of burn but i ultimately i think that's what it came down to i was always very interesting to people because i think the most interesting thing is when you zig when everyone else is zagging yeah and people like that dichotomy, right? So I always go back to Neil Strauss's book, The Game. If you guys haven't read The Game, if you if you think it's douchey because it's a pickup artist, it's actually just it's a retelling of the hero's journey. It's beautifully written. Neil is, uh, and I hope I hope he hears this because Neil's a good friend, and, and I'm, I, I've learned a lot from him. I believe that Neil is the most seasoned storyteller of our generation. He is absolutely one of the voices of, and I'm uh, very blessed to know him and learn from him. And so the the hero's journey that is present in uh, the pickup artist, it's always interesting to me because the reason there's so many, in, in general, in business, you know, we have like vision, we have strategy, and we have tactics. Mm-hmm. And so the tactics that are apparent in the game are, you know, this like be cocky, funny, and there's a little bit about peacocking. And it's so funny to me that that worked for Neil for very obvious reasons and wouldn't work for me for right. the same reasons. You know, Neil coming out swinging and, and just being overly confident and, you know, he's Neil's like short, he's like 140 pounds, like good looking, funny guy, but just kind of looks a little geeky. You know, I walk around 200 pounds lean with tattoos. <laughs> if I, you know, when I behave in an overly cocky manner, all I'm doing is confirming people's expectations <laughs> right. of who they think I'm going to be. Douchebag. Right. And so, you know, I like, I come out and I'm like yeah. talking about Harry Potter and, and people are just like, oh, that's interesting. And I'm like, I've got this, you know, it's like Dungeons and Dragons tattoo. Right. And that, that's, that is interesting to people. So, you know, I was, I was such a, a change from the, the intentionally vanilla sort of PG world of the fitness industry that I was able to gain an audience very quickly, you know, and, and everyone's like, do you like the fitness Tucker Max? Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think that's, that's true. But, I mean, if, if that comparison, you know, stuck, I wouldn't have been upset about it. Tucker's become a great friend and I, and I love his writing. Yes, un- unapologetic, right? Right. You know, I don't, you it's know, that's, that's the thing. Like, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to be weird about the shit that I yeah, did. Yeah. I did those things. Totally. So let's talk about them. 
and and uh, I, you know, I have some guys with whom I've grown close who are in the mastermind. And one of them, a guy named Adam Ali, who runs a site called Physiconomics, he said, whether you realize it or not, what you did in you know 2010 plus, so you gave everyone else permission to be themselves, mm. and and it's amazing to to think that. I don't believe that that's true. You know, like I'm not. I, I, it was, I, I'm not egotistical enough to think that I was the sole arbiter yeah. of change. But I still don't feel like everybody's. No, not everyone's. Like, social doing. media is very. It's, like, it's, it's still, a highlight like, reel for very, a lot of yeah, people. It's a highlight reel. It's exactly. a highlight reel. I know. I like, but I, I try to, I try to throw in the lowlights. Yeah, you know, totally. I try to, I try to throw in like here's, here's some stuff that like is truly embarrassing. Yeah. And then you know there's stuff that is like right in the middle. I don't know. I think it's a lot like a relationship, right? When you're with someone for a long time. People sort of reduce relationships to a series of stories and, you know, it's like your wedding day is the best day of your life and that's true. And the day your mother dies is one of the worst and the person who is standing next to you for both of those days is your life partner. But it's very easy to do both of those things. Like it's the script is written, the stage is set. When somebody close to you has a death in their family, you you intrinsically know how to behave. Yeah, right? yeah. It's it, you just you're just there for them. When someone has a bad day, you know what to say. You've you've read it, you've seen it, you've done it. Like that's it. It's 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 emotionally challenging and draining, but it's not difficult in in like you instinctively know what to do. And so and and the same thing when someone like gets a raise or promotion, it's like, oh my god, this is amazing. Let's go to you know how yeah, to celebrate. Yeah. But it's all those like middling days of of just like epic mundanity. Yeah. Then how how you interact with people on those days. When you're not excited, when nothing particularly good has happened, when you're just in the routine and there's a lot of just, you know, like hamster wheeling for life, how you interact with people on those days, that is the real meat of any relationship. And that's why romantic relationships are harder than friendships because friendships are built around mundanity. Yeah. And, you know, just like, ah, oh, just come over and I guess. You know, we'll, nothing to do, right? That, just play yeah. some video games. Let's, and I'm like, you know, my, one of my best friends, a guy named Josh, when we were growing up, he would play video like he loved certain video games that I didn't and it was when I was building my business and I would go to his place and he would put Skyrim on which was a great game to watch but yeah. I didn't want to, want to devote 90 hours of gameplay and I would watch him play it as I was like writing client programs and like we just like hang out and order food and it was an amazing day just proximity right hanging out with your buddy just even if you're close. not talking just and just... so I look at my my relationship with my audience is that it's mm. not it's not just how we go, how we're doing during the launches. It's not just, you know, what I write during the bombing at the Boston Marathon. It's it's how I'm able to interact with them on all the days where nothing special happens. And if I could be a bright spot in their day, if I could make them laugh, or if they can just feel comfortable being like, hey, man, like, I'm just bored with my life. You know, is there a book you recommend? Mm. If I can help them through that, then I'm their guy for life because – we have more of those days than anything else. Totally. That's a good point. How do you do you, I'm just trying to think, you know, Gary Vee always talks about, and I know you know him well, mm-hmm. he always talks about document, don't create. Is that how you're actually thinking about like coming up with this content? Is it just like living your life on a day-to-day basis and you're kind of documenting your I thoughts? I mean, honestly, for me, if I have to be totally honest, it's I personally believe that it would be criminal to not share every half clever thing that tumbles into my head. <laughs> like, I'm just like, and, and it's like, it's so ridiculous. I remember, you know, like back when I was a dungeon master and I'd be like, oh, this goblin is going to say this funny thing. And I couldn't wait for my friends to get yeah, to that yeah. point. So this guy, I just like, I just wanted to make my friends laugh. And the same thing here. Like sometimes I'm in the middle of a workout and something absolutely bomb. I'm like, and I like, I like giggle to myself when I'm typing. I'm like, oh, they're going to love this. And I just like dig that. I yeah, fucking yeah, dig yeah. that. So I don't document a lot of my life. Like there's not a lot of my day to day that right. gets, that gets filmed or whatever. Cause my, my, like Gary, it's very easy for him to say document, don't create. He's like, his, <laughs> he's got his, a cameraman. He's got a cameraman got and he's like, oh yeah, he's got D-Rock and he's like, <laughs> he's got Jordan, yeah, yeah. you know, training him and you know, he's like on planet of the, my day is exactly. like, I'm fucking sitting here in this very apartment <laughs> on this very couch and I'm just like, hmm, what am I going to watch tonight? You know, and I like, I got last night, you know, so I, I use a little, uh, a little edible marijuana from time to time for um, anxiety management and so I recently got a vape and so I'm not, I have no idea what the dosage is that I should be using. And I just got fucking blasted last night. 
not realizing that I would not. It was also like it's like a strain that affects your body. Yeah. And I sat and I just I was like glued to the couch watching <laughs> Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. And I just found my mind wandering. And for four hours after the movie ended, I was just like, man, if Voldemort was born like sixty years later. He probably wouldn't have started this cult. He probably just would have like played a lot of Xbox. <laughs> Maybe after high school, he would have like you know gotten in good shape, crush it on Tinder. <laughs> like, and I was like, for four hours, I, I could not move. So, so like documenting oh, my life yeah. is not something that I'm interested in because it's not. It's not. I don't think it's particularly interesting. Well, this is this is uh, interesting. Like, yeah, but that's <laughs> happening in my head. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Documenting your life through like your thoughts. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I don't know. But I yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I, if Voldemort was born in the 80s instead of Hogwarts having – instead of there being the second Wizarding War, there's a school shooting of some sort. Like oh that's how things played yeah. out differently, yeah. you know? Like – and yeah, I don't know. But I was thinking, man, like imagine – like if, if – because he was – because, you know, Voldemort's born in the 30s. He's coming up in the 40s. And it's like there's still like a very prude culture, you know? And, and I'm, I'm wondering like if Voldemort gets born in the 90s – and, you know, he grows up in the age of Instagram thoughts and he, and it's super easy for that guy to, you know, I don't know if you've seen young Tom Riddle, the guy was a looker. Yeah. He, like if it was super easy for Tom Riddle, just like go out and get laid, would he still, he's like, all right, I'm the heir to Slytherin, but am I going to take over the world or am I going to use that in my Tinder bio to, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know, but I feel like, you know, that's very, you know, I don't feel like anyone in our generation is like rising up. They're thinking, you know what? despotism that's where i gotta go <laughs> that's the move no people are just like oh i gotta, I gotta fucking take down dan bilzerian with my follow <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. and that's what voldemort would have done i think so i had that thought because it was glued to my couch because i i had no idea how much to smoke or to vape i guess because that's new to me because i've never done drugs you know i, I, I had lived my entire life like not not doing not, I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never oh, I didn't smoked realize weed. that. Yeah, so I mean, like, I, meanwhile, we have a. I see a, on your bookshelf it says ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So somebody gave me a book. I, so I'm I'm a really nerdy guy, yeah. and so when I get into something, I'm like gonna read everything about it. And so I, I believe that there's a lot of value in MDMA, and a couple of the studies just moved to phase two to treat uh, alcoholism, and then there's some for like major depression. And so I've been playing around with some mm. recreational MDMA. And I'm like, well, I'm going to, there's, it's, it's MDMA, the complete guide, <laughs> you know, or it's, it's ecstasy, the complete right, guide. So I'm right. going to read every book I can find and scour Reddit. Yep. I'm not just going to start putting things in my body. I'm not as cavalier, like, sure. but, that, but that's the difference, right? I yeah. guess that's a, the, the, the piece of, of me that's like an entertainer, right? I am on, on Facebook. I'll talk about like, oh, I was rolling faces one time. But, you know, back home here, I measured out the sure. exact amount to take based on my body weight and halved it based on the fact that I wanted to, you know, to low dose instead of micro dose. And, uh, you know, it was a thought out decision. It, it wasn't was, just yeah, like cavalier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, very, but, you know, you don't. Last night wasn't very thought out. <laughs> no, last night I was like, I, I should, I'm, I'm experiencing some anxiety and, yeah. I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on Harry Potter, which is comfort. And then I just got glued to the couch. And so. I don't actually know how the fuck we got there, but my point was that documenting that probably would be funny to some people. Totally, it's you know I don't know. So well, docu documenting the thoughts, I think, like, right, right, yeah. of what Voldemort could have turned out to be. Yeah, he could be. He could man. He could have been something special. <laughs> I feel like Voldemort might have his own reality show. <laughs> Tom Riddle would, you know, he was a good-looking kid, could have killed it, but I feel like you're growing up in a very prudish era. He's not getting laid. Because nobody's getting laid because the only way to get laid is to like meet Lily Potter day one and, you know, and just like be her boyfriend forever. And then you have like, like, why does everyone idolize James Potter? He was an asshole and there was the one girl, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I am at Voldemort. If, if you've read the, the, the yep. new, the new play, there was, he, uh, he got along with Bellatrix, which is not braggable. She's out of her fucking mind. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Voldemort born the same year as me turns out very different. That would be, you know? I'd love to see that. J.K. Rowling's next book, she yeah, should. Yeah, I would We were just, actually, my wife and I, we were, we were just in Scotland for about three weeks. And we lit, we were staying in this cottage. I've got friends there that have these cottages, a bunch of Airbnbs they run out. But it overlooks J.K. Rowling's house. Oh, wow. And, I mean. Is it like palatial or is it like fairly modest no it's very, it's very modest yeah. it's got a lot of land i think she has acres like hundreds of acres but the house is like it's very modest good i mean well, how much do you need 
Yeah, but I mean, it's one of her four houses. But sure, but like, if you're gonna have four houses, like, they should like how many how many bedrooms? How many need? palaces do you need? Right. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I've got I've got a three bedroom apartment in Venice, and I have this lovely 480 square foot, you know, uh, like palace here in, in New York. But this is it. It suits my needs. And, yeah, exactly. You know, I'm just I'm past the point where I like want to care about like, what it looks like. And I mean, I it's decorated how I want. I, it's yeah. the exact amount of space I need. It, it you know when when there's Everyone is here for if, if I were to have like six people over watching Game of Thrones, yeah, might be a little crowded in terms of, in terms of just seating. <laughs> sure. But whatever, man, it's fine for me. Location's amazing. It is, yeah. We're right in the heart of the West Village. I really like it here. So, yeah. yeah my point is that like document to create, I think works very well for Gary. For me, I'm just like share whatever you think people will love, mm. and uh, and I and I like to do that. And I, and I think you know I've gotten to the point where I, I tend to think in pretty direct lines and, and fewer abstractions than I used to. And as soon as something tumbles into my head, I can immediately assess or discard it. And be like, nah, that's not, that, you know, like that's for me. This is for them. That's for me. This is for them. And I, I can put things into buckets pretty quickly. Do you get a lot of like those thoughts? Like, is it like oh, God, ideas I, come? So how do you, how do you document that? Like in terms of keep track, keeping I, track, just on a note, just notes, a note app yeah. or like now I talk and, and thing. And I, and the hardest thing for me, particularly because they happen a lot when I'm in physical motion. So when I'm walking on the mm. street, so that's why I've got headphones with, um, I've always got one in and it's got a microphone yeah. so I can record and I'm just, you know, like creepy talking to myself. <laughs> but the other thing is it always happens to me when I'm at the gym and the single biggest piece of discipline I've had to institute is to not be the guy who just takes his phone and goes over and sits on the bench for an hour writing. And I used to do that and now I'm just trying to like speak it as much as I can and then get back to my workout. When I did that, and when I actually sat and, and wrote it, my workouts would be shit, you know, because I'd, I'd like lose energy and steam. But now I just re- I record, you know, verbally what I what I want to just high level what thought, I want to do, like high level thought, yeah, yeah. and then like you know, if there's a couple of sentences that I want to put in there, and then I like burn through it and have this intense workout because I can't get wait to get home when I get to write, yeah, yeah. and so you know, so like very reward heavy, and it's very cool. That uh, is cool. I like that a lot for somebody. That's really interested in like what you're talking about in terms of storytelling through business. What would you recommend for somebody to get started in incorporating stories into into their sure. work? Uh, there's a couple of books. Uh, one is on the shelf. One is Winning the Story Wars. I can't see the author from here. That was a good one. A big one, honestly. Everything by Joseph Campbell, and then my upcoming book, uh, which is which takes Campbell and applies it to sort of entrepreneurialism and, and self development. It is it is titled The Cave You Fear to Enter. And that is taken from Campbell's, one, one of his more famous quotes, the cave you fear to enter uh, holds the treasure that you seek. So the title of the book is The Cave You Fear to Enter, colon, really creative subtitle. I haven't thought of it yet, but the book will help you. Please just buy it, <laughs> is the working subtitle. <laughs> is it actually? Uh, yeah, I mean, That's great. I know this will help you. Please just buy the book, um, <laughs> is the working subtitle. So, you know, I'm almost done with it. I'm excited about it. I'll talk to some some master namers and see. You know, like Tim will know exactly what to call it when yeah. I only send it them. But yeah, working subtitle is like when's that? What's that out? Oh, fuck am I know when? Uh, you know, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, are you I, finished writing I, though? No, I'm pretty. I would say just over two thirds through. So I'm writing three books at once right now, which sounds not ambitious at all. Huh? You know what? For most people, I think that's a terrible idea. For yeah. for me, based on the way I write, I'm like a sprinter, and I get like real sick of shit, and I just want to work. I work on Campbell until I'm like, man. This is, I can't talk about this anymore. And then I'm working on, uh, I'll tell you all, all my books if you're interested. This is the first time I get to talk to, about them yep. on podcast. I've been on, on like a podcast moratorium because most of them are lame. And this is a <laughs> lot of fun. And so the first one is Campbell, KB Free to Enter. The second one is a book of personal essays, which, you know, started out as a bunch of funny stories and has now more morphed into stories and lessons that sort of, you know, the frame is you know, the time I grew up because I, d- I was born during, you know, a very special time in 1982. And so if you've been following media in general, I'm what's called a zennial, people who are on the cusp of millennials and Generation Z. And I, it's an interesting, stupid word, but it really does inform a lot of things because it's how I relate, how my, people in my generation and your generation relate to technology, right? So I'm the last analog generation. And I remember my you know, phone number from when I was a kid growing up in Queens. It's seven one eight two zero four eight nine six five. Everybody call that number. Find out who lives. Who's the number that is now? I have no idea. But I don't remember. I, I don't. I don't 
know my mom's current cell phone number. I, I like, it's weird how your brain yeah, changes. Yeah, that's and, true. You know, anything that I needed to remember by rote prior to getting a phone that would store all that information is still there. You know, my best friend is a. I, won't, I don't want you to call him. I won't talk about it. <laughs> but um, I still remember some ex-girlfriend's numbers and, and things like that. And so it's a bunch of essays that you know are funny and they just are, are very personal. But and and they posit a lot of the deeper questions in life. But the, they're sort of coming from this perspective of I'm only 35, and so I'm like I'm not young enough to like pretend to be young anymore. But right. I'm not that old. Yeah. And you know I've got I've got a, an 11 year old son and looking at things from his perspective and and just you know trying to like really figure life out. And so that book is titled Okay, but how do mermaids fuck? And it, it, that is a serious inquiry, you know, it's a, it's a philosophic inquiry. And so, you know, like one of the books, one of, one of the essays in the book focuses on pornography. So not really relevant to that, but I, I gave up masturbating like over two years ago, not because I think it's bad, but because I wanted to see if I could do it. I had this, I set this challenge for myself on February 3rd, 2015, that I was going to give up ice cream, alcohol, and masturbation for a year and a day, which was very storybook. And uh, the alcohol lasted 93 days and it wasn't challenging enough. So I replaced it with like very limited internet usage, which was hard. The ice cream, you know, whatever. It was easy. But the masturbating was the hardest one for the first four months. And then it just got easier and easier. And then, you know, February 4th of 2016 came and went. And, I, and then it was like seven months later. And I was like, oh, shit, no, I guess I just like don't jerk off anymore. And I'm like, that's I'm fine with that. And And so like, you know, not masturbating hasn't changed my life in any dramatic ways. But I do think you know, watching a lot less pornography has been, it can't not be good. And so the essay, you know, on the one hand is sort of about the dangers of porn and it's got a lot of research and it references Cindy Gallup, you know, woman whom I know and her company Make Love Not Porn. She has an amazing TED talk. And it's written from the perspective of a father. Like I'm worried about all of this access he has. Yeah. So it's like on the one hand, it's like abject concern and this is how I can fuck him up. On the other hand, I'm just like completely resentful of him because he has so much access. And I was like, man, when I, it's like I used to have to walk to school uphill both ways. Like we, we had the same four videotapes that we – VHS tapes that we passed around uh, my yeah, friend. Yeah. We had to work for our fucking porn kid. You can just jerk off in bed looking at your phone. You don't even know how yeah, – like, that's real problems. That's great. And so like on the one hand, it's like sort of very serious. But on the other hand, it's like written in this very tongue-in-cheek like this kid does. You know, like if you can – if you never have to work for porn – like you can't fathom what. Do you remember was. like channel like oh yeah zero zero, zero, zero. squiggly line and, and, and hoping and every now and again it was a line <laughs> and you'd see a boob yeah. yeah and then you know I dude I remember like fucking jerking off to like you'd have to go to first of all dial up internet so as <laughs> yeah, soon as you right. sign on everyone in the house knew and then you go to in AOL you go to chat rooms and they yeah. special chat rooms and then you'd have to people. You'd have to trade JPEGs back and forth, <laughs> and you didn't know what they were going to send. Right, right. Like you had, so you didn't know it was going to be good. You just you sent you know one of your best. Yeah. And you hope they send one of their best, and then then you got to like later on that night when everyone was asleep, masturbate to a still image to a, on a computer on a desktop computer in your living room, in <laughs> in like in very real danger of getting walked in on. That was what masturbating was like. And these kids now it's just like. Fucking kids, like kids watch uh, porn in yeah, class. Yeah, all access, right? All access, and and it's real fucked up porn, and that's the <laughs> shit that can, you know, it's like, it's yeah, like yeah. I'm, I'm super worried. Like, I have, I have to have conversations with them. I'm just like, I just want you to know that, like, facials aren't the only way that sex ends. That's not, like, that's not how you know it's over. And when it is over, when you're about, you don't have to, that doesn't have to be on the face. You could be, you, you do that anywhere. Definitely don't do it inside because you do not want to get pregnant. That's oh, way, yeah. but you know, so that's sort of the essay. Yeah, and yeah. so that book is titled, okay, but how do mermaids fuck? Phil a philosophic inquiry. So being two thirds done, are you two thirds, are you done with two I'm, I'm, out of the three books? No, or? no, okay, I'm okay. two thirds done with the Campbell book. Got it. The way I'm treating the mermaid book is like, I, I might actually be done. I just have more ideas and I'm just going to like write the shit out of them. And then at the end, I'll treat it like an album and sure. get rid of the, the ones that are, are not as strong. Yeah. But it, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I really like it. It's good. It's great. And then I have another one which started, I don't know if it's a book. It's a series of micro essays, you know, one to two to three pages. Uh, although one of them is six, which is, I guess, just a regular essay. Yeah. And it's so each essay focuses on an individual aspect of depression of my depression so one of them is sort of 
about apathy and it's like, oh, I just can't do anything. I don't care about anything. And mm. another one is quicksand where you care about things. You just physically cannot move. You feel yep. stuck. And then there's one about rage. There's one, there's one called the pharmacological nightmare that is my body. And so, you know, like people who suffer from depression like yeah. me usually have very high stress. And so I wound up with both back pain and ulcers. And mm. so I have to take things to medicate for these, except if I take painkillers for my back pain, it upsets my ulcers yeah. and I start spitting up blood and that's exacerbated by the, by the, you know, antidepressants I need to take. And, and there's this ADD medication and so sort of like this, this Tetris of yeah. when I have to take what so that I'm not upset. And it's just like, as a, as a, as a guy who like presents to the world is very healthy and who in other ways is that's, you know, there's a lot of weirdness built around that. So, and that book is uh, so it, it'll it'll be a book of micro essays. I don't know if I'll release it for free or what I'll do, but in any event, it, it's titled. Um, so as it turns out, I'm pretty fucked up. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> well, and so you know, focus on on my struggle with depression and suicide, but from again a tongue in cheek manner. So. Yeah, yeah. Plan on bundling those together, selling them all like kind of the same no, time. Cam- Campbell is going to be sort of on its own. I want to yeah. sell that to a publisher or, or or direct publish it and have that because like that's part of my business. The the other one, you know, the mermaid book. Is I, I just I I would love to just see that in like an Urban Outfitters. It's just like a fa- very funny a traditional book. publisher Tra- for that. Prob- probably. Yeah. And then the depression book. I don't know if a publisher was interested in. I go that way. It's one of those things where you start to realize like it's not going to fit into my business in any way because I'm not a psychologist. I'm not going to start doing coaching yeah. or any kind of uh, treatment for depression. The most I can do is give people insight. You know, I wrote the 7,700-word opus on my struggle with depression and suicide a while back. And the number one thing that I get in terms of feedback is not from people who are depressed or who suffer from depression, but people proximal to them, one connection mm. over, where they're like, I finally understand what my father's going through or, you know, my, my sister killed herself in, you know, like 10 years ago and I could never really understand it. And so... You know, I, I don't know how effective I've been at talking about depression from a high level in terms of communicating what it's like. The only thing I can say is that I did my absolute best to talk about what it's like for me. Mm. And that seems to have been enough to convey to people what the experience is. And that, you know, is, is like, I don't know what this book will be or if it'll be a book, but that seems to be the goal there. Got it. And, but but in, a, in like in a way less serious. Kind sure, of sure. Well, yeah. as most of your writing kind of tends to be tends to be but yeah. with the with the mental health stuff, serious I, thing, I, I right? do but veer more toward the yeah, serious yeah. And, and there's like there's not a lot of in that that piece on depression there's i don't think there's any jokes at all yeah but yeah so it'll it'll sort of like there's this, like in the rage one you know one of the, the hallmarks for me is my temper gets short and i just find myself getting insanely angry over absolute nonsense yep. and like i'm like you know to the minorest transgressions are you know, they're like cause for justifiable homicide. And so the, the, the opening <laughs> quote of, of the, every, everything has, that I do has like an opening quote, either as a frame or I just think it's fun. Yeah. And uh, there's a great Chris Rock bit where he, he's just like, you know, hold up, man. There's no reason to go to prison for three years because somebody scuffed your puma. <laughs> and then there's like a follow-up quote where he's like, don't listen to Chris Rock about anything. <laughs> and so there's, bit, you know, it's, yeah. it's just talking about how rage affects me. And then there's this little like very well-written vignette about, uh, you know how this guy at, at an event I went to started pitching me on his affiliate product, and and he was you know just oh and I just like listened politely for as long as I could, and but I'm the whole time I'm looking at him and I'm, he's wearing this navy blue blazer, and all I can think about is grabbing him by his lapels and opening his face with my forehead, <laughs> and I just like described what I what him, oh, what was going amazing. on in my head, how I imagined yeah. it would be like the, the feel of yeah. blood like spurting <laughs> and. You know, like how how he would you know collapse, and I'd be holding him by his jacket, and I'd be holding him up as he collapsed, and I'd just <laughs> probably give him at least one more, and then like really, really getting into the the fantasy of how everyone around me would react, yeah. what what happens, you know, and so he and then yeah, he's still talking to me, and I'm like this, and I has, this is I no idea, and it's for me, it's like it, it's like very you know Polinic inspired sort yeah. of you know what happens in the narrator's head in, in Fight Club and. No, that's phenomenal. So stuff like that. So well, I'm somebody, a real cheery guy. <laughs> so real you guys, positive. You guys, guy. If you guys have never read my stuff, I highly recommend getting involved now. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be a good 2018 is my year, kids. I'm gonna be all over TV. Um, no, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for hosting and thanks for uh, introducing me, to Carlos. Oh, yeah. So yeah, for everyone who who can't see us, Carlos is my uh, my stuffed llama that I um, I bring everywhere with me. 
And um, by everywhere, I mean he travels wherever I travel. And the, and the thing about Carlos is he's not like a a childhood toy <laughs> that I've had. I saw that I happen to love llamas; they're one of my favorite animals. And I saw I was at Urban Outfitters with my wife and kid shopping. And I saw this, and I was like, I need this one. I need this llama in my life. <laughs> and so I decided, like, at 30, I guess I was 34 when I got him, I was like, I'm going to cultivate this eccentricity. I'm going to be the guy, the 34-year-old man with a new stuffed animal, and I'm going to see how people react. And so, like, <laughs> when I fly, like, you know, I don't buy him his own seat, but Not I yet. take him out, and, like, he sits <laughs> on my lap on the plane. And people always ask, like, oh, what's up with this llama? Is it, like, a safety thing? I'm like, no, it's my friend Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> just, just say, like, the, like the most nonchalant, like, oh no, this, that, that's just Carlos. Don't even, don't even worry he's about quiet. it. He's quiet. I speak for him. Don't worry about it. He's, uh, Carlos, he's not hell of a Jack and Coke, and I'll, I guess I'll, just, I'll have a water. Um, like sometimes I tell the students, can I have some extra crackers for this? <laughs> Uh, yeah, for no reason other than I'm like this is I like llamas and he I, and but now I like if I don't have Carlos. But the thing is, you know, you 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 create these stories in your head, and I, there have been times when I go on a trip and I forgot Carlos, and I feel like something's missing. Like when I come home to my hotel room and he's not sitting on my bed, I'm like, oh, where's Carlos? And so I've Why like I I've, I've like Carlos... created dependency on this stuffed animal that I bought to be funny, and so we are we are weird creatures, but. Thank you for thank but you for having me. He's sitting in your lab now, so you guys are yeah, tight. Yeah, we're tight, man. <laughs> All right, thanks, man. Yeah, dude, thank you so much. Yeah, you really, got it. Really. All right, so you can find John at John Romaniello on Twitter. That's at John Romaniello. And, of course, that spelling, along with all the links and resources John and I discussed, including more information on his businesses and coaching programs, can be found at the page we created especially for this episode. That'll be at failon.com slash 037. And next week, we have a good one. We're sitting down with my friend, Steve Cam. Steve is also in the fitness realm. He's a fitness instructor, publisher, and writer, best known for promoting the paleo diet at the website, nerdfitness.com. Nerdfitness.com has a crazy following now. It's a now worldwide fitness community dedicated to helping nerds and desk jockeys level up their lives. And this episode, Steve will be talking about his personal body transformation story, which led to the foundation of his business. And we'll also be discussing what he learned from his previous work experiences and his advice for getting started on your own side hustle. So don't miss it. It's coming up next. If the podcast is providing value to your life and your business and it has the wheels turning, please email me at robitfailon.com and let me know what your biggest takeaway from this episode with John was. I'd love to hear from you and I'm sure John would too. As I continue to build fell on with the goal of helping you learn faster through other people's business and life failures, I'd be really grateful for a couple of things that are so small but matter so much. Subscribing to the podcast takes a single click and helps the show get found by more people. And when more people can find the show, it means it can simply help more people, which means you are helping more people by simply subscribing. To subscribe and rate and review the podcast, really easy. Just visit failon.com slash iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.